0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Lost Ladies of Lit mini-episode. I'm Kim Askew. And I'm Amy Helms. In today's episode, we thought we'd mix it up a bit
1: and talk about a woman who was once an international superstar whose genius earned her a fortune, but whom almost nobody remembers today. Royalty, statesmen, and celebrities all gushed over her, including Queen Victoria, Napoleon's wife, Empress Eugenie, and Tsar Nicholas II.
0: She's not a lost lady of lit, but rather she's a lost lady of the art world. And today we're mixing it up because after learning about the 19th century French painter Rosa Bonnier, we couldn't resist the urge to tell you about her.
1: Yeah, her life and her career trajectory is totally wild, and we mean that quite literally. This woman had a
0: pet lioness who roamed around her house, you guys. Okay, and that's only the tip of the iceberg. She was one fascinating personality. Her life story would make a great movie.
1: Yeah, totally. I came across an article about her in a recent issue of Smithsonian Magazine. It was written by Elaine Schiolino, and we'll link to that in our show notes. But for today, we're just going to give you some of the highlights. Bonnier was best known for painting animals, She did this in lifelike, almost photographic detail. And she was also a genius at self-promotion. And she lived her life in a very gender-defying, I am who I am sort of glory, which was pretty unheard of for the day.
0: Bonnier grew up in poverty. Her mother died and was buried in a pauper's grave when she was only 11. Her father was a struggling artist and Bonnier trained under him. She loved to paint animals because she believed they had souls just like humans did.
1: So when she was 19 years old, a painting she did of two rabbits nibbling on a carrot was exhibited at the prestigious Paris Salon. And later, her giant canvas of two teams of oxen pulling plows, this was titled Plowing in the Nivernais, was dubbed a masterpiece by
0: critics, and it's still on permanent display in the Musée d'Orsay. Although she was tiny in stature, she liked to paint these really huge paintings. Her most famous is called The Horse Fair. It's eight feet tall and 16 and a half feet long. And it was once referred to by an American publication as the world's greatest animal picture. It was sold at auction to Cornelius Vanderbilt. And now you can find it at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York.
1: So she got some serious
0: cash for this painting, and with that
1: money, she was able to buy a grand chateau about 50 miles south of Paris, bordering the royal forest of Fontainebleau. She specialized in painting animals, so it's no wonder that her property wound up becoming a veritable zoo. She kept dozens of species of animals, including, you know, sort of the run of the mill sheep and horses, but also monkeys, lions and tigers at various points in time. She also spent lots of time at animal auctions and slaughterhouses in order to study her subject matter in more detail. And in addition, she was obsessed
0: with the earliest iterations of photography and had built herself a dark room in the chateau as well. All this work didn't really jibe with wearing fancy dresses, naturally, so she wore pants. She was a tomboy growing up and continued that trend into adulthood. She actually received a special cross-dressing permit from the Paris
1: police, which she had to get renewed every six months, which I found totally fascinating. I think the article said she had a doctor write her a note basically saying that for health reasons and going to these slaughterhouses and places like that, she needed to dress like a man. So she was often mistaken for a man when she was out and about. She rode horses astride instead of side saddle like the ladies of the day. She kept her hair short and she also chain smoked at a time when smoking for women was associated
0: with prostitution. She never married, and while we can't really make assumptions about her personal life this many years after the fact, her closest relationship as an adult was with her childhood friend, a fellow painter named Natalie Mika. They lived together and Bonnier did once write, had I been a man, I would have married her.
1: When Mika died, Bonnier went on to live with another woman, an American painter who was 34 years younger than she was. Her name was Anna Klumpke. And Bonnier called her the daughter I never had. But then in another letter, she referred to her as her wife. Yet at the same time, she's also been quoted as saying, I wed art. It is my husband.
0: Right. And whether or not she was a lesbian, she does remind me a bit of English diarist Anne Lister, the woman who inspired the HBO series, Gentleman Jack.
1: Yes, I definitely agree. Although I did read that she did wear dresses for public appearances and portraits. She wasn't necessarily ostracized for who she was. People seemed to accept it. She was awarded the French Legion of Honor Medal from Napoleon's wife, who declared of Bunyar that genius has no sex. She also received honors from Mexico's Emperor Maximilian and Spain's King Alfonso Twelfth. Tsar Nicholas and Tsarina Alexandra met her once at the Louvre, and she was visited by Queen Isabella of Spain, so hanging out with tons of serious VIPs. She was befriended by Buffalo Bill Cody when he toured through France with his Wild West show. She was so popular in her day that a porcelain doll was made in her likeness, and a variety of rose was named after her. But today, she's really not a household name, even in the art world. I'd read a New York Times piece that said she sort of failed to have a lasting appeal in France because she was seen as having sold out. You know, a lot of her paintings wound up being bought by English and Americans. And she also painted more in an English style. So it's possible she was considered sort of a deserter and no longer
0: authentically French, even though she was still living in France. Right. And after her death in 1899, this sort of hyper-realistic art she was known for began to really fall out of fashion and was replaced by Impressionism. What's amazing though is that today, one French woman is spearheading the efforts to resurrect her legacy and turn Bonnier's Chateau into a museum dedicated to her.
1: Yeah. So a woman named Catherine Brault, I'm not sure how to say her last name, Brault, bought Bonnier's home, which was in a crumbling state of disrepair. She bought it a few years ago. It took her three years to find a bank that was willing to give her a loan for this. And now she's slowly and painstakingly uncovering all kinds of treasures that she's finding in the attic and elsewhere on the property as she renovates the place. She's luckily also been awarded a financial grant for preserving French cultural heritage, which is helping her turn this dream into a reality, which I think is great. It's a museum now, but paying guests can stay overnight in Bonneur's bedroom. And the chateau can also be rented out for special events like weddings and conferences, things like that. I loved hearing about the fact that her art studio in the house is sort of like a time capsule. When you go in, you see her painting tools. There's an easel with one of her unfinished works. Uh, she has so- all sorts of taxidermied animals in that room. And then there's a pair of her old worn lace-up
0: leather boots. I kind of got the chills hearing about that studio room. It sounds amazing. And and according to the Smithsonian article, little by little, the world is showing a renewed appreciation for Bonnier's work too. In 2019, the Musée d'Orsay had a small exhibition of her little-known caricatures. I'm happy that people are starting to circle back to her. And it's also nice to know that she actually knew huge success and admiration while she lived.
1: Crazy coincidence, Kim. When we were getting ready to record this, I happened to be watching the Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit. I had just started it. And in the second episode, they name drop Rosa Bonheur. No way. Uh, yeah. The main character is going to a new home and the person that lives there is sort of giving her the quick tour and points out that the paintings on the wall are reproductions of Rosa Bonheur. Uh, It makes total sense, too, because The Queen's Gambit is a show about a female chess player who's sort of like fighting to make her mark in this male-dominated chess world. And so the fact that they kind of dropped her name into it, Rose's name in, just seems really fitting, you know, this artist that was also trying to uh, make a name for herself in a man's world.
0: That is amazing and the coincidence is great and I absolutely want to watch that show now that I hear that even more. It shows that the creators are really thinking about what they're doing.
1: So yeah, I think that does go to show that she is starting to come back in people's consciousness. I love the fact that she was just a woman who lived life on her own terms and that kind of leads us into our next Lost Lady of Lit who's another woman that didn't just
0: split from convention but totally owned it. That's right. Next week, we'll be discussing Marjorie Hillis, a writer who urged women in the 1930s to live alone and like it with her Rye manifesto that makes the single life look pretty damn awesome at a time when unmarried women were looked upon with suspicion.
1: And we've got the authority on Marjorie Hillis coming on the show. Her biographer, Joanna Scutz, is going to be here to chat with us next week. And it's going to be a really fun one, I think.
0: Yeah. So until then, check out our show notes to find out more about today's topic, Rosa Bonnier, including some links to see her greatest works of art.
1: It's all on our website, lostladiesoflit.com. And don't forget to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're enjoying these episodes, it really helps new listeners find us. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone, and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Kim Askew and Amy Helms.